Melissa read a passage about wisdom from chapter 4 of the book of Proverbs, and I selected it as a reading. But if I was really going to select a reading, I would have selected a reading that was Proverbs 1, 2, 3, and 4. But I know nobody wanted to read that many verses. However, imagine that the Proverbs that you just heard are lying down here as words of wisdom. I want to lay down some other words over here as words of wisdom and discuss the two of them together because both of them enhance our understanding of what wisdom is all about. So here are these words from chapter 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If you think about a treasure hunt, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm serious. It's seriously a question. Go ahead, shout it out. I don't care. This is a classroom. What? Okay. <laughs> that got a laugh. Any other treasure hunts? Map. Ah, yes. I missed it. Anybody think of a movie? Yes, National Treasure. Man, I'm glad somebody, Priscilla, thinks like me. National Treasure, that's, that's the one I think of. There's another thing I think of when I think of a treasure. I actually think of history and a treasure hunt. And I think of the gold rush, right? The 49ers, of course, that's the gold rush out in California. But there was another one called the Klondike gold rush. That's where we got the Klondike ice cream bar from that. Yeah, the Klondike gold rush was actually in Alaska, Canada, whatever it was at the time. And um, people went to the Klondike to find gold because it was reported it was everywhere. The estimates are this, 100,000 people left the lower 48 to go north to search for gold. Only 30,000 of them ever made it. And of the 30,000 that made it, just a tiny portion of them found the treasure of their life. But you know what was true of all of them that went? They left everything behind, sometimes sold everything except the things that they needed in order to pursue a treasure. Now, the treasure that's spoken of in chapter 2 and really throughout the book, Proverbs, Words of Solomon, that treasure hunt that is described and advised is significantly different than the Klondike gold rush. Why? Because, first of all, it's not for money. You get that. But second, it's not for anything. The search is not for a tangible anything. 
The search is for wisdom. And you can't put wisdom in a bottle. You can't hold it like gold or silver or a trophy. But it's there. And the proverb says, search for it. Search for it completely. When you think about searching for treasure according to the Proverbs, the first thing I want to notice about these two chapters is that these two chapters suggest that the son of the father who is speaking, the son ought to embrace wisdom as a legacy, right? All of you know about family heirlooms, things that are significantly important to your family, Things that maybe your mother would say, that belonged to your great-grandmother and someday I'm going to pass it on to you. It's a legacy. It's an heirloom. The father says to the son, what I'm talking about here, this thing called wisdom, it's a legacy and you need to embrace it. My father, which was your grandfather, passed on these words to me, gave me this introduction to wisdom, and now I'm passing it on to you. It's that valuable. Don't drop it. Pass it on. It's a legacy. Actually, the father suggests that this legacy is something that's given to the son, but it's given to the son so the son can continue to search for what has already been given. Isn't that an interesting idea? I didn't just put it on a piece of paper for you, son, and here it is. I gave it to you so that you can search for it. Search for what? What I've given you. How do you search for what I've given you? The only way you search for what has been given to you in this legacy is you search out the words. You search out the wisdom. You keep digging and digging and digging for the hidden treasure that you've been given. But there's something else that's noteworthy in this embracing the legacy of wisdom. It's this. This wisdom is inseparable from relationship. My father gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. You're my son. I was the son of my father. And the reason I'm giving it to you, my son, is because I'm in my Father's likeness. When we talked about wisdom, when he shared wisdom with me, I owned it. So there was a sense in which we were one in it. And I share his likeness. And I want you to take these words of wisdom and share my likeness. Now, at the outset, i got to tell you, um, I, I'm sure that over the years I shared a lot of wisdom with my son and my daughter, and I, I think they probably forgot most all of it. But I, I do know this, that if you'd have said to me, sharing wisdom with your son means that you want him to reflect your likeness, I would have gotten squeamish real fast. Why? Because I'm not sure I want him to share my likeness, because my likeness is not always good. My likeness is not always honorable and noble. What I want him to share is the likeness of the wisdom that I've inherited from God. I want him to share in that likeness. 
Now, most of you are Christian or from Christian background. That's probably why you're here. And if you hear words like this about likeness, you might not be able to help thinking about something else, namely, Jesus as the Son and God as the Heavenly Father. So much of Jesus' teachings are about this. They're about me, says Jesus, and the Father being one. They're about me being the image of God the Father to you and to the world. They're about likeness. So the Father is essentially saying, I want you to be about the character, the wisdom, and the likeness of God. I'm sharing it. It's your legacy, my son. Second thing that you'll notice uh, in these passages is that the Father instructs the Son to search for wisdom passionately. Give everything you've got to find it, he says. It is a treasure worth everything. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? How about that parable of the pearl of greatest price? Sort of reminds me of that. You drop everything to find it because it's that important. I, I wonder if uh, this analogy would be a little bit more meaningful. At least it was to me as I thought of it. Suppose you're a parent and you have a child that has a particular disease. What are you going to do for that child? Anything to find the cure. You might eventually find a very, very costly medicine. And it might be so high in terms of the cost. You can't really afford it. But I bet you, you're not going to turn to your child and say, sorry, sweetie, we can't afford this medicine. Would you? No, you wouldn't. You'd borrow everything you had against every asset that you had. You would go in debt for the rest of your life in order to get that medicine for your beloved child. There, it seems to me, is the analogy that helps me to understand the proverb and the urgency and the passionate quest for wisdom. He says it doesn't make any difference how much it costs you. He's not telling you to be foolhardy. He's not telling you to be a Klondike gold digger. He's saying in life, the most important thing in life is wisdom. And you need to passionately search for it. Like it was the most important thing. Give everything to it. This treasure is not a treasure that's like hide-and-seek. It's not a treasure that's trying to hide from you. It's not a gotcha game. Oh, you think you found me, but you missed me. That's not what this treasure is. This treasure is right before your eyes. The passionate pursuit of it through the wisdom of God. And furthermore, the proverb says, 
Not only should you passionately search for it, you should search for it in such a way that it opens up the horizon of life for you because it is your life. Another analogy for a search. Uh, Do you ever think to yourself, well, at my age, or maybe some of you aren't my age, yeah, a lot of you aren't my age, think to yourself, well, you know what, if I'd have had, I think I, maybe I should have, well, if I'd have had the chance, I think I would have done that instead of this, right? Okay, so perfect honesty, I've thought that before. Instead of being a pastor, I think I could have done that. Maybe I could have really enjoyed that. Maybe if I had it to do over, it's one of those moments, right? So I'll tell you sometimes what I think when I think about having to do it over. Well, I think about a lot of things. But one of the things I think I would have loved, absolutely loved, but not really had the capacity to do, because I'm not smart enough, was to be an astronomer. I'm absolutely fascinated with the galaxies. I love looking up in the night sky. Or to put it another way, as the psalmist might have put it, I like looking up there and seeing the handwriting of God. If I were an astronomer, I would be constantly pursuing the beauty and the grandeur and the truth about the universe that I could attain through passionate search. And I would not blame the galaxies for hiding from me. They're there for my discovery. And it would bring me great delight. That's the kind of search he's talking about. Not wisdom that hides from you, but wisdom that is there. It's right in front of you. Seek it out with all your heart. The third thing that the Proverbs suggest is that not only should you embrace the legacy, not only should you search for it passionately, but you also ought to live it completely. In other words, wisdom is not something that can be put in a museum piece. It's not something you put under a glass. It's something better than that, as a matter of fact. It's not even something you just memorize and then you're able to repeat. Though that's really important, it's better than that. It's about life itself. And in order to possess wisdom, you can't just put it up here. It means you must live it. One of the other things I might have done if I hadn't have done this would have been to be a professor of philosophy because I just like that too. And um, I taught philosophy for about 10 years um, just because I love it. And you can't do much philosophy without running into Plato and Socrates. 
And there's a quote that's frequently attributed to Socrates that Plato penned. And there's debate about whether or not Socrates actually said it. But what seems to be perfectly clear is that even if he didn't say these exact words, his teaching was about this. So here's the phrase. To know the good is to do the good. Okay? Pretty simple. To know the good is to do the good. Now, if you're like most people, your first response is, that's poppycock. Because I know a lot of things that are good, and I don't do them. I know the good, but I don't do the good, right? Of course, it's a natural response. If it's not, we need to talk. If you actually think you always do the good, you got big problems. But here's what I think was going on with Plato, Socrates, or that tradition. I think what was going on is Plato or Socrates were basically saying this. You can't really know in the deepest sense of the term or embrace in the most passionate way you can embrace something. You can't know and embrace the good without doing it. To really know it means to do it. Now, even that you may think it's a little bit tricky. But I wonder, I wonder if the Proverbs are saying something similar. I wonder if they're saying to embrace wisdom, to truly embrace wisdom, you must live it. You can't just talk about it. You can't memorize it. It must be lived, because otherwise, you don't have it. That cuts kind of close, doesn't it? But I think that's what we need. So the Proverbs say, first of all, I want you to embrace this thing called wisdom. Make it your legacy. I want you to search for it passionately. Give everything you have for it. Third, I want you to live it completely because you can't have it without living it. That just means you don't have it. And fourth, your life depends on it. No wonder it's so important to search for it. True, life depends on wisdom. Wealth is not your life. Power is not your life. Pleasure is not your life. Wisdom is your life. Let's remember who these sayings are attributed to. Solomon. Solomon, the one who had a vision in which God appeared to him when he was first given the kingship. God said, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And in effect, Solomon said, I only want one thing. I don't want money or fame or power. I want wisdom. 
And God said, you've got it. And he gave him wisdom. You know the rest of Solomon's story, right? He squandered it. He focused on wealth. He focused on power. He turned wisdom into pithy little sayings. He used it to control other people. He focused on pleasure. And down near the end of his life in the book of Ecclesiastes, he admits how screwed up he was. And now, in this inspired text, he's talking to his son, sons, anybody who will listen. And he says, your life depends on wisdom. Search for it. Find it. Live it completely. It is your life. Down near the Well, the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, after talking about all the vagaries of life, finally says, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and follow His commands. That's wisdom. Not all this other stuff that I had and used. So let me put it in my own words. What's the conclusion of the matter in the search for wisdom? It might actually surprise you like a really good movie or a really good novel. Because in so many good movies and good novels that are about a treasure hunt, trying to find something, at the end you realize it's been there all along. You know the great romance novels or movies? You're looking over all over for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or whoever it is, and then all of a sudden this person has an epiphany, and they say, she's been here all along. She's been my friend. Now I know I... I love her and I don't want to get rid of her. I I want her more than anything else or the opposite for the guy. I want him. Mr. Wright has been sitting next to me in class. (laughs) Semester after semester. I think that's um, what's happening with the wisdom theme. When you get to the bottom of it, you're actually surprised about what it is. Let me go back to chapter 2 and read you something that you already heard. He says, my son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will find it. Actually, those aren't his words. He said, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What is the pursuit of wisdom? Passionate pursuit of God. Not sayings. Not the end of a riddle. But God. I ran across a theologian this week who said something that a lot of us who study theology have thought for many years. Her name was Helen Chari, and she wrote a book entitled, By the Renewing of Your Minds. She spoke about some of the ancient theologians, such as Athanasius and Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas, and more. And she said, something strikes me about those theologians, and she was comparing them to today's theologians. So they were striving not only to articulate the meaning of doctrines, but also their pastoral value, how the doctrines are good for us. I also noticed, she said, that they understood human happiness to be tied to virtuous character, which in turn comes from knowing God. Becoming an excellent person is predicated on knowing God. For these theologians, she said, beauty, truth, and goodness, the foundation of happiness come from knowing and loving God and nowhere else. I don't know if you remember, surely you do, the the beginning of it all in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, where God created everything perfect, and then creation was sullied by human sin. One of the epic moments of the sullying of creation comes when the woman encounters the serpent. And the text says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, listen, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and gave it to her husband. That story basically says she sought for wisdom apart from God. There's lots of wisdom out there in the world, and I don't mean to decry it because it's out there. But my friends, if you really want wisdom... You seek God. Because that's where all wisdom resides. The central story of the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, the beginnings, they're a story about relationship. 
There is a story about Adam and Eve's relationship with God. There is a story about walking the cool of the garden and literally talking to God and having fellowship with God. And then the fall comes and interrupts, just puts a breach between that fellowship. And we search for it everywhere before we search for God. I mentioned it in the last sermon. But I want to make sure we don't turn the Proverbs into pithy little sayings. They are that. They're profoundly wise. But that's not the heart of it. The heart of the Proverbs is seeking God to find wisdom. One finds it in God. Maybe that's why the grand old Westminster Confession starts out this way. With a question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Question for next week, for you and for me. How does this thought glorify God? How do these words glorify God? How do these actions glorify God? There was a time in my Christian walk where I thought the notion of glorifying God was not only weighty, but like a burden. I had to glorify God. I can't do that. I've come to believe and understand that it's not a heavy burden or a harsh task. It's an invitation to be who I was made to be. To glorify God means to enjoy Him forever. I think that's what the primary message of wisdom is in the Proverbs. Seek God with all your heart. Glorify Him with all of your life. And that is wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You um, that Your wisdom is, is, is here. <laughs> It's in your scriptures, it's in people around us, it's in the world you created. But Lord, your scriptures, they're yours. The people around us, they're, they're yours. The world and all that is is yours. So, Lord, don't let the particular become the veil. Help us to see the particular and to find you. Because in you is the sum total of wisdom. And as we love you and find you, we will find wisdom. 
Thank you, Lord. Transform us by your grace, we pray. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.